Hey fans, Dan Schreiner here with the Disciple Henson Podcast. Many of you will know Micah and Bobby Joe Yarborough. Many of you will not know that they wrote a book two years ago entitled My Anchor Holds Within the Veil, Bipolar Disorder and God's Providence. So in this episode, I have the privilege of talking with Bobby Joe and hearing a bit of her and Micah's story and how we can care well for those who are mentally ill in our midst. So I hope you're helped by this episode. And oh, before we get to the conversation, you can get the book, My Anchor Holds Within the Veil by the Yarboroughs on Kindle right now for only $3 on Amazon. Or if you prefer an actual copy, I think it's like $6.99 on Amazon Prime. Or you can always just ask the Yarboroughs. I hear they have a lot of copies. Anyways, I hope you enjoy and are challenged by this episode. Bobby Joe, um, I trust that many listening will be will know who you are. But why don't you give us a brief introduction? Who are you? <laughs> um, where do you want me to start? Why don't you just tell us, like, where did you grow up? How did you become a Christian? Sure beginning. <laughs> yes, <laughs> at the very beginning. <laughs> I grew up in Forest Grove, Oregon, which is a small town about 30 miles west of Portland toward the beach. And I attended a Methodist church growing up. Um, I became a Christian probably around the fourth grade, I think. I had attended a vacation Bible school at our babysitter's Baptist church, not at my Methodist church. Um, I grew up... Uh, you know, Hooray for Baptists. I know. <laughs> I grew up... There we go. <laughs> There's the laugh track, or the applause track. Yes. Um, I grew up, you know, I had heard the gospel um, at Christmas and Easter and all those relevant times. I didn't really understand how it applied to me. Um, went to this vacation Bible school and began to sort of understand what it meant to um, follow Christ and what significance that would have for my life. And so I prayed at that point with my babysitter, and um, I do believe I became a Christian as a child. Then. Praise God. Yeah. Um, and then, so did you start attending? I mean, did you continue going to the Methodist church, or what did kind of growth in the Christian life look like in the following years? Yeah, so I kept going to the Methodist church with my family, um, <clears throat> graduated, went away to college, didn't really go to church during college, um, graduated college, moved back home, uh, started graduate school, met my husband, Micah, Um as we became friends, he was really challenging my faith. I was mm. still professing to be a Christian, but wasn't really walking um, like a Christian. And so we, as we were dating, we would go to church together. We At the time, um, our work schedules prevented us from going to church on Sundays, like a traditional Sunday morning service. And so we went to church out at Good Shepherd in Boring. They had a Friday evening service, and we would go to that, and then we'd go out to dinner or a movie or whatever, have a date afterwards. And it was sort of through that that I started kind of, I guess, turning back toward Christ and was really inspired by my relationship with Him. Praise God. Yeah. So when did you find yourself at Hinson? So fast forward, we got married, and by that time, our work schedules had changed, and so we had Sunday mornings available again, and we um, had moved into Northeast Portland, and so we started looking for a church that was a little closer to home, 
Um, and he was at Western Seminary at the time, so he'd gotten some good recommendations. We made a short list of churches that we'd want to visit, and Henson was the first church we came to. That was back when Bruce Borio was here. And So was that early 2000s? Yeah, Nine? like 2002 Okay, okay. Probably right around there. That's when we got married, so I think it was shortly after that. Yeah, so we've been here ever since. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. You've mentioned Micah, your husband, any other significant family? Sure. We have two kids, Jonas, who is 12 for a couple months, and uh, Josephine, who just turned 11 last week. So. And they're awesome kids. They're awesome kids, yeah. I, I was hoping you would have some funny stories, particularly of funny things Jonas has said, but maybe we'll do many. another. Yeah, just too many to re- remember. Um, what about what do you do for work, Bobby Joe? So I am a clinical psychologist, and I do actually health services research. So I don't see patients in a traditional office setting. Um, instead, I write grants to do research studies that are interesting to me, um, mostly focused on either developing treatments or improving services for people with mental illnesses or substance use disorders. Wow. Um, Is there a good Microsoft Office template for writing a grant that you would recommend? (laughs) No, not if you want it to get funded. (laughs) Okay. Um, So tell us a little bit about, uh, you you and Micah together wrote a book that is in some ways related to your work, but more related to your story. Mm-hmm. Um, with Micah. Some in our church have read this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about what that book's about. Sure. So, um, uh, again, I have to start at the beginning for this one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. So when Micah and I met, um, I knew, because we'd been friends for a while, I knew that he lived with depression. I knew that would be a part of our married life. Um, we were both at the time in school uh, thinking that we were going to become therapists, and so I thought we'd have some skills to deal with that. That turned out to be super naive. (laughs) Mm. Um, Not long after we got married, um, he he became depressed. He then became, he started uh, using, abusing alcohol. And it it became really clear to me that he wasn't just depressed, that there was something more going on. Um, Over time, we, I mean, it just became sort of undeniable that he was having manic episodes. So if you rewind a little bit in his history, um, he had a really traumatic event as an adolescent. Um, Subsequent to that, started drinking alcohol, using marijuana. This was when he was in high school. And so his family and the doctors that were treating him at that time assumed that uh, his problems were related to substance use. And so fast forward to this point in our marriage, um, both he and I you know, sort of thought maybe that's, he shouldn't have been drinking alcohol. Like we, we realized like, okay, you thought that was something of your youth. It turns out it's not like you got to stop this. It's really becoming a problem. Um, but it wasn't really the alcohol. The alcohol was really coping with uh, these underlying bipolar symptoms that were becoming more evident. So um, over the course of, I don't know, the first seven years of our marriage, he had several manic episodes that really um, made it undeniable that he had bipolar disorder. So the book is about us sort of learning about that, and it's about his experience of bipolar disorder, how he experiences different aspects of that illness, both the depressive side of that illness, the manic side, um, psychosis that he's occasionally experienced, uh, suicidal thinking. That's all described in the book from his perspective, kind of giving people 
um, the opportunity to sort of see into that. It's not something that a lot of people uh, understand very well. And throughout our lives, you know, we often hear people say things like, oh, that's so bipolar or he's so bipolar mm-hmm. or that, you know, mm-hmm. and they really don't have a good understanding of that. So so as Christians, we shouldn't say those things. Not a good idea. Not very, yeah. <laughs> Recommend against that generally. Yeah. So this was meant to give people a perspective of what it really means to live with that illness. And then also the strategies that he's developed over time to manage that illness, I think really well. And so it's meant to give hope to people to say, this is what this looks like for him. It's different for everyone. And these are the things that have worked for him and they might work for other people and they might consider trying them. It's also really about um, the testimony of God's work in our lives and his providence in our marriage and sort of taking these two really broken people in this really depleted marriage and rebuilding them and um, just sort of the redemption story that has been playing out as we've been trying to live with bipolar disorder, live well with bipolar disorder. What a transparent and vulnerable, kind of risky thing to do to put yourselves out there in print. Yeah. Like your story that is, um, how did you come to a place where you felt like you could you could do that. I mean, kind of t- tell to me about yeah. the kind of origins of deciding to do that. Yeah. So this, um, the book was really Micah's idea, and uh, I think I talk about I, I think I talk about this a little in the book that he um, he started talking about writing this book, and I thought, well, that'll be good for him, and that'll be therapeutic, and mm. like he can do that, mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'll just let him do that. And he had a lot of ideas, you know, in the past when he was manic about, you know, these grandiose ideas and plans and things that he would do. And so I assumed this book was another one of those, like, oh, here we go. Like, he's got this mm. idea for a book. And so I just sort of like let him work on it. And I, I tried to be supportive. Like I said, I thought it would be therapeutic, but I didn't ever think the book would actually come into fruition. And the more that he worked on it and the more that we talked about it as he was working on it, which was actually a really incredible experience because it was, for me, even a window into things that he hadn't shared with me before and Mm. just an opportunity to really understand what his life had been like, you know, as an adolescent and, and since then. And so through that the experience of just talking through all of that, I it, I think God began changing my heart and and making me more open to this idea that he that he was writing this book and also the idea that he might actually someday publish it. And eventually, I started getting more involved. I do a lot of writing for my work, so there was a lot of ways that I could support him, not just emotionally, but just technically in terms of editing and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and then he started asking me to write pieces of the book, which I was really reluctant to do because then it meant I had to do all that deep personal work that he'd been doing. Um, and that was a lot harder than supporting him doing that work. Mm-hmm. But again, God was working and changing my heart and um, helped me to have a vision for how this book might be useful to other people. And that was really the motivating factor. And have you heard feedback about how the book has been useful to maybe friends, family, or others? Yeah, it's actually been really encouraging. So mm-hmm. we put the book out there. We put it on Amazon. We've made a like... Um, what is the version that you can listen? An audible version. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not audible. Maybe it's like a... F- an audio version. Is it you or Micah reading it Actually, on the audio version? I don't think it's an audio... I'm like, that's not what it is. There's a Kindle Pop-up version. Book. That's oh, what it is. Okay, Kindle version, <laughs> so yeah. So you don't have to buy the physical book, but uh-huh. you can buy the online version or whatever. Anyway, um, I don't keep track of like numbers of books sold. I have no idea. Sure. But 
I do occasionally get on and look to see if people have left reviews. And so when the book first went out, we had a lot of family and friends who were passing it. Even people here in the church mm-hmm. were passing it on to other people they knew that they thought could benefit from reading it. So that was super encouraging to mm-hmm. us because our goal all along was just to get it into the hands of people who needed to read it, who could be encouraged by it, who could maybe learn something from it. Um, so even now I'll get on Amazon and there'll be a review from who know I don't know who mm-hmm. these people are. And they're from all over the United States, all over the world. And so that's been really exciting to see that like, okay, hopefully this is having a really positive impact in other people's lives. So what's the name of the book? Uh, <laughs> my, is it my anchor? My anchor holds, holds within the veil. Within the veil. And God's providence and bipolar disorder. I don't. I should. I should know this. I don't know. <laughs> but it is. It's authored. If you go. If you go to Amazon, you go to Amazon and you Amazon. search Bobby Joe and Micah Yarborough, or if you search my anchor holds within the veil. If it'll you search come bipolar disorder, it'll come up. It'll just be a little further down the list. I gotcha. Yeah. How how you guys wrote that book a, a while ago? A few years mm-hmm. ago. Um, how are how are you guys doing now? How how is the Arborough family holding yeah. up? I know this is a stressful yeah, time. Yeah, super stressful time for everyone. So I guess um, we're good. I'll say that. Um, sort of the next chapter that book sort of leaves off with like, oh, you know, we've here's what we've learned. It's certainly not like, hey, we figured this out. This is how you do it. That's that's not really. But it's it leaves off with like, this is what we've learned. This is how we're managing, and we're doing okay. Um, the next chapter is, is I think exciting and interesting. Um, so I, I mentioned that Mike and I have worked together. We worked together for 20 years doing mental health research. And about mm, probably about two years ago, Micah started coming to me saying, you know, I'm not really sure I can keep doing this. And um, he was really becoming discontented with the work that we were doing, not because it isn't like really important work. We're both really dedicated to that. But over the last couple of years, we've moved more into uh, really heavy um content areas. So we're doing a lot of suicide prevention research right now. Mm. We're doing a lot of work in the risks associated with opioid use. So for people who have to take opioids to treat their chronic pain, like how do you know who can take those medications without developing addiction? How do you know who's going to be vulnerable? How do you prevent that? How do you know who's going to be at risk for overdose? And so his work had really moved from a lot of face-to-face contact interviewing patients to um, a lot more computer work reading medical records of these really traumatic lives that people had and traumatic deaths that they had. And he's built well for that kind of work. Mm-hmm. He's survived trauma himself. Mm-hmm. He's lived through mental illness. He's you know, a super compassionate person, and he can handle that. But day in and day out over several years, it just was becoming really hard. And um, I think he just felt like he just couldn't keep doing that anymore. And so he didn't really have a plan. He didn't know what else he wanted to do. And so we were sort of in this situation. We were praying a lot, like, Lord, like, what do you have for Micah? What is next? If not this, then what? And we weren't getting any answers to that. And the end of last year, he came to me and he just said, I I just can't do this. I got to stop. Like, I got to quit my job. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, that's, that's a big risk. So mm-hmm. we started looking at our finances and scaling things back and trying to figure out, like, how can we be a single-income family? How can we make this work? And obviously wanted to support him. I knew that he was consistently praying, so I wasn't worried that this was like a, you know, last-minute sort of thing, mm-hmm. impulsive thing. Um, so he decided to end his job at the end of last year, and um, he asked that I 
give him some time to just separate from that job and to remain in prayer about what was next and not pressure him to find, you know, something. And so we decided to do that. And he had a really nice, um, from about January to March, a nice reprieve to Mm -hmm. sort of rebuild himself and start thinking about that. And I'm sure, I know you've experienced this, I'm sure people tell you these kinds of stories all the time where you don't know what God is doing in your life, but then when you look back, you can just see his hand in it. Mm -hmm. So none of us knew that COVID was coming. Mm -hmm. None of us knew that God might be preparing Micah to be home with our family. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no way that if we were both still working in the jobs that we had or had, uh, that we could do that and have our kids remote schooling and all of that. So now it's really clear to see like, oh, the Lord was really separating you from that job, giving you time to rebuild and heal so that you could give to our family, so that you could support me, continue my work, so you could take care of our kids, um, so you could homeschool, mm-hmm. which we never, ever thought we'd be doing. And so actually we're doing really good. It's hard. Mm. We have the same struggles that everybody else is having, like, all being in the same space and not stepping on one another's toes and trying to care well for each other. But um, we've had some really sweet family time and we've been able to really slow down and appreciate that. So we're doing really good right now. It's a long answer to that question. No, that's good. I, I just, I'm so encouraged to hear about the kind providence of yeah, God. And, absolutely. Uh, we've seen it so much mm, in our lives. So. Mm, praise God. Um, I have a follow-up question, but maybe I'll save it to the end when okay. I, because I want to know how we can be praying, just particularly for your family. Yeah, sure. Um, but one of the things I want to just take a few minutes to talk about, and you know, this is just like skating on the surface here, because, um, but I, I trust that uh, people in our church family can reach out to you if mm-hmm. if need be, in terms of caring for those with mental illness. So this is something that you and Micah have really been about. I mean, you've been about it in your marriage, but also in the church family. Um, So first, give us an apologetic of why should Christians care for those with mental illness? Mm -hmm. Um, That seems like maybe an obvious question for for many, but um, what what, what, make a case for? Yeah. Um, So I would say, even though they're not explicitly mentioned, when we think about orphans and widows and foreigners, I think what the spirit of that scripture, what that's trying to tell us is that we should be concerned for people who are vulnerable, who can't either advocate or care for themselves. And so I think that's what Jesus wants us to do is walk alongside people and help them, you know, help them out when they're particularly vulnerable as a result of mental illness. Amen. And that's what we saw Jesus do. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that the the why is maybe a little more straightforward. Biblically, it's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, if you're a Christian, that should seem pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. But the how is a little more tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we as Christians care for those with mental illness? Yeah. So, you know, um, here at Henson, I feel like for the last several years, we've been really working to cultivate a culture of discipleship. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the principles that apply there apply to this question as well. So Mm -hmm. for us to be able to disciple one another, we have to acknowledge people who need discipling. We need to recognize that they're in our midst. We need to build relationship with them that's Mm -hmm. authentic and genuine and not on the basis of the fact that they need our help, but because Mm -hmm. they're worthy of our friendship and, and because we want to be in their lives. And then we have to be doing that. We have to be participating in their lives and walking with them in ordinary times so that when extraordinary times happen, like an episode of mental illness, you've already have a foundation of trust in that relationship and you can build on that and you can speak truth into their lives and 
and it's coming from the right place. So, um, Let's say you're someone listening to this and you have started to build a relationship with a, a friend or a family member uh, who suffers from mental illness and you find at times um, that you feel ill-equipped or afraid uh, maybe the friend or the family member is in, goes through a manic episode or even psychosis, and uh, you, you just feel like you have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're coming from the experience where you have a, a lot of experience in both your just your research and your professional work, but also in your family mm-hmm. and knowing what to do. But uh, maybe I'm I'm seeing this in a friend or a family member for the first time, and I'm afraid. Yeah. How would you counsel me? Yeah, so I would say um, not to try to do that on your own, first of all. Mm. I mean, especially if this is not something that you're familiar with. I mean, this is, again, back, we're creating this culture of discipleship. We also need to be creating a network of carers and people who are equipped to do that. And I think we're trying to do that at Henson. I've been a part of several efforts to do that. Um, so I would say first to be seeking help from pastors, elders, friends, uh, people, you know, in your small group or your Sunday school or other, there's a lot more mental illness in this church than people realize. I I mean, I think um, there is an assumption that if someone has mental illness, it's going to be really obvious and and they're going to stand out. And that's certainly the case for some people. Sometimes their mental illness is so severe that it becomes really apparent. But for many, many, many others, they're getting along and they're getting by and they look just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot more going on under the surface. And so... um, not to assume that we don't have that among us. And because we do have that among us, we actually have a lot of expertise in how to manage and deal with it. And people who have either experienced various things, anxiety, depression being obviously the most common. But we even have a fair number of people in our church who've experienced more serious mental illnesses or either themselves or in their families. And so, and a lot of those people are willing to be a resource. And mm. so I think the more, again, that we cultivate this um, – spirit of discipleship within our within our um, membership, the more we'll understand that and the more we'll know who to turn to. But I would say first thing is not to try to do it by yourself um, and to try to seek support. That's a really good word. Um, what about practically? What do you find, like if people come to you for support or even thinking through your own experience, mm-hmm. what does it look like? Um, um, maybe someone is going through a time where they're suffering immensely. Mm-hmm. Um, what does what does care look like? Does it look like, hey, I'll, I'll pray for you? It uh, definitely should not not involve prayer. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it definitely mm-hmm. should involve praying. Um, it probably shouldn't end there. It probably shouldn't mm-hmm. be, I'll pray for you, and I'm never going to bring this up again. I'm yep. going to avoid this because I'm uncomfortable with it or I don't know what to do. Like you said, I don't have experience or whatever. So it should certainly involve prayer. But it should also involve just um checking in with people and living alongside them. And you don't have to know what is the right thing to do. The most important thing is to be there and Mm. to be willing to listen. Um, I think most of the expertise that Micah and I have gained over the course of our life together comes from listening, from Mm -hmm. listening to each other, from listening to people that we've interviewed through the course of our work, just giving people the opportunity to help us better understand what it is they're going through so that we can better understand how to meet their needs. Hmm. That's really good. And 
over the years you've found yourselves, I mean, this is not maybe the every week ministry that you have to people in our church family, but you have visited in, uh, folks in the hospital. Yep. You've uh, brought people to the hospital, the ERs. I think this is a, yep. a good time to go to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there are things that people who don't have our professional expertise can do, like mm-hmm. listening, calling mm-hmm. to check in, mm-hmm. praying for people, mm-hmm. um, meeting practical needs like bringing meals or organizing transportation for kids so that some a parent who's having a hard time can have a respite yeah. or, or just taking the kids for the afternoon. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of practical ways that people without professional expertise can be supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are things like you know, knowing when to refer someone to treatment or, mm-hmm. or knowing when to say, I think you probably should talk to Daniel or talk to Michael who can then, you know, find help connect people to resources. Um, we have taken people to ER. You mentioned mm-hmm. that we have visited people when they've been um, living in residential facilities mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. either overcome mental health issues or substance use issues. Um, those are really, I mean, those are really important, profound moments that are very lonely and isolating. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where where support is the most important is when people are really isolated and they feel forgotten about. Yeah. It's actually one of the biggest burdens that Micah and I are sort of struggling with right now in COVID. Is we're used to being in church on Sundays and, and looking around and being able to have eyes on people and and. I mean, we don't know. I can't tell by looking at you what you're going through, but from week to week, I can tell if if you look like you're not doing so well or if you haven't shown up for three weeks, I'm, I'm going to notice that. Mm-hmm. And when we're not meeting in person and we don't have eyes on the congregation, mm-hmm. that's a lot harder. And so right now, knowing that people are isolated and that they are suffering, and oftentimes people, when they're living with mental health issues, they're coping. That's what they're doing. Like we all do that. They're they're coping and they're doing the best they can to get by. And in the course of that, they may not even recognize how bad things have gotten. And so they may not even recognize the need to ask for help. Or they might see asking for help as sort of a weakness when they're trying so hard to overcome whatever is happening. And so um, I just think like right now in COVID where we're not seeing people, we need to be even more aggressive in outreaching to people and checking in with people, you know, that we know might be hurting. Mm-hmm. And has the nature of your work or even just your research and reading, um, some people might be curious to, to know, are we seeing an uptick in incidents and just that profound suffering um, that comes from mental illness during this pandemic in our in our region. Yeah, so it's interesting. At the beginning of COVID, we were sort of expecting this real um, sharp escalating spike in yeah. mental health service use, and people were not coming. Well, first of all, because everyone was afraid to leave the house sure. and go to medical. Right. You know, so that so that didn't happen right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then virtual services came online, you know, as health systems organized and figured out how to do that. And so now we're sort of seeing a gradual uptick in service use. But I think there's a lot more people who are still not seeking care or don't want virtual services because they really benefit from in-person services. And so um, I've read a lot about concerns about, you know, upcoming waves of um, mental health and substance use. And how will that affect you in your work 
Yeah, you said you were going to ask for prayer. I think you're going to do that at the end, but I'll mm-hmm. just mention it right now. Mm-hmm. As I'm like thinking about um, future research opportunities, a lot of what I'm praying about is like, Lord, how would you have me work in this space right now? What is the important work that needs to be done? And particularly, what's the work that other people aren't going to do that, that I need, specifically I need to do? So um, I, I don't know. So far, like the research studies that I have that are in process right now, we've been able to contact participants and continue to conduct the studies. We haven't had, I've been fortunate not to have any um, negative consequences of COVID so far, but I think there's a lot of opportunity for future research, especially as we think about these um, upcoming, you know, mental health and substance use epidemics that there were already, there was already an opioid use epidemic before the COVID epidemic, sort of an epidemic on an epidemic. So how those things all come together and how we're going to get through that. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for research there. So for me, it's about figuring out how would the Lord have me focus energy during this next phase. That's a great a great prayer. I'd be happy to, to pray for that for you and for your family, which I didn't prepare you for this question, but just uh, it's, it's related to that. How, and you kind of already shared, but how do you, how do you think as a Christian in your work or how does your faith give you hope and strength when you're, I mean, I know Micah did this. I'm not sure how much you do this, but it sounds like you both do interviews Mm -hmm. of people who are often in pretty intense suffering, Mm -hmm. um, whether for opioid use, you said, or, um, you know, having suicidal ideation Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that just sounds that sounds rough to, to, you know, week after week, year after year, hearing from, from folks who are suffering in the darkness and maybe in, in often in isolation. Mm-hmm. So how, how have you seen the Lord strengthen you and your, your faith uh, strengthen you during that time? Mm-hmm. So um, I did not mention this when I was talking earlier about us becoming researchers, but neither of us set out to do this. Like mm-hmm. we, I, I think I did say that we both thought we were going to end up being therapists and probably in private practice. Um, so over the arc of our career, it's been really interesting to look at things that seem really apparent that the Lord put in front of us, like, this is what I have for you, and we've just sort of faithfully stepped into that. And so I think that's, you know, that's that even is happening now. I already forgot the question you asked me, sorry. It was just, uh, how how have you seen the Lord strengthen you oh, yeah. in doing this really hard work? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so um, some, some really, like, evidences of grace is Micah and I did a large project focused on recovery. So we, we because we spend so much time focusing on illness, we really wanted to look at what's called positive deviance, people who were able to recover from mental illnesses, what sets them apart from other people who can't, and you know what does recovery mean for individuals. And um, so we did a lot of interviews, Mike, particularly in the course of that study. And what was really amazing was the number of people who talked about how their faith was like the thing that like was the primary aspect of their recovery was mm-hmm. that knowing that they were loved by God and that they had that they had their faith to live for um, and so that's a that's a huge encouragement in that kind of work also just knowing like I said that not everyone is going to be willing to do that this kind of work and it's mm-hmm. super important and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I feel, feel like that's the thing like it's you're right this our jobs, my job is not easy. It's not, it's not a fun job, um, but it's it's a really important job, and mm. somebody needs to do it. And mm. I want it to be 
I want to be a Christian doing that work. It's also mm-hmm. very lonely being a Christian in science. Like that's, mm. that's a perspective that's not represented. So for me, it feels even more important. Mm. Any final ways, Bobby Joe, that we can pray for you and your work, but also for the family? I think you've already given us some good content. Yeah. Um, I think I would just ask that you would pray for our family. We really want to be known in Henson and also in our broader community, in our neighborhood and in our you know, friends that we have from our former schools. And um, we want to be known as people who aren't um, going to say, we'll pray for you and then avoid you. Mm-hmm. We want to be known as people who are willing to get involved and who want to walk alongside people. And we feel like all of these experiences that God has given us have prepared us for that. And we want to be able to use that for his glory. So I would pray that in COVID where we can't have eyes on the congregation, the membership, and even our neighbors, that um, the Lord would just make apparent to us who we need to reach out to and how we can love and support them well. That would be my prayer. I know that would be Micah's prayer. Can I pray for that yeah, just right please. now? Yep. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Yarborough family. We thank you for Micah and Bobby Joe and Jonas and Josephine. We thank you for the gift that they are. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this work that you have given Bobby Joe to do. We pray that you would give her wisdom in the future of this work and how she might use her gifts and her expertise, um, particularly in this, this season um, when so many are suffering. Um, Lord, we pray that you would give her wisdom. And Lord, we pray that Micah and Bobby Joe would continue to be an example of of follow through and love for the saints, particularly those who are suffering. Um, Lord, we pray that you would give them insight in who to reach out to and how to do that well. And we do thank you for the example that they have been to our church um, of love for the lost and love for this church. Uh, encourage them, we pray, particularly as, as Micah uh, homeschools the kids and is home more and as Bobby Joe does this work and, and cares as a mother and as a wife and as they live out their faith among us we pray your blessing on them in Christ's name in Jesus name amen amen thank you Bobby Joe I thank God for you we love your family thank you thanks for coming on thanks for having me